Welcome everybody. I'm Rod Zeeb. I am the CEO and founder of the Heritage Institute. And welcome to the podcast. And our podcast guest today is Thomasina Williams, who I met, I'm trying to remember how many years ago you can fill that in when you were leaving the big firm to set up your own um, uh, operation and came to some of our training. That was that was a while ago. So welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That was quite a while ago. And And so just explain a little bit about your journey. Um, and what you do. And then I, I do want you to describe the name of your company and how that's how that works, because <laughs> it ties into the stewardship. <clears throat> Happy to, Rod. So first of all, thank you for having me and thank you to your listening audience for tuning in. I am Thomasina Williams. I am the founder of Sankofa Legacy Advisors. And what I do is help families to build transgenerational legacies, legacies of success. I do that by helping them to focus on the family side of family wealth. While other folks help them with their financial assets, I help them with the people side of things. Really building a connected and capable um, group of leaders who are engaged stewards of the family's legacy. My journey is one which started with the practice of law uh, for almost two decades in Miami. I went from there to philanthropy at one of the largest foundations in the country, uh, philanthropic foundations in New York. And it was through that work that I discovered uh, this phenomena called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. I was first of all, uh, came across a study that talked about how sophisticated ultra high net worth families often use philanthropy as a tool to strengthen their families as much as for whatever the philanthropic cause is. And I was really impressed with the high degree of intentionality and purposefulness around that. So just started researching the topic, discovered shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves and realized, oh my gosh, you mean this is a thing? <laughs> It's not just my family that couldn't keep it together, that this is like uh, happens to most families. And that moreover, there's this emerging field of professionals who can help families either course correct or avoid that fate in the first instance. And then I set out on an odyssey to learn all I could about how to do that. And in the course of that came across you and the Heritage Institute. And the rest is history. The rest is say. history, as they say. So... Tell us a little bit about Sankova and um, what it means and, you know, uh, I yes. story. <clears throat> yes. So as you mentioned, uh, we first crossed paths. I had just left one of the large private banks. I was fortunate to be the first person they'd hired to come in-house and work with their ultra high net worth families on generational transitions. And uh, when I decided to leave and start my own firm, I had to think not only what was I going to do and how was I going to do it in a way that was very different from what I did at the bank, since all of that belonged to the bank, I also had to figure out what am I going to call my firm? What, what do I want to do with that? Uh, lots of people counsel me that I should name it after myself. Not very interesting. Uh, and as I thought about what does this work mean to me, what do I think of as the driving mission, certainly for me and my family and for the families I've come in contact with, it's really the principle of stewardship. And I adopted the name Sankofa because for me, Sankofa epitomizes that. Sankofa is a mythical bird that is usually depicted uh, in the historical uh, rendition with its feet facing forward 
It has a very long neck and its head is turned backwards and it has an egg in its, in its mouth and its beak. And essentially what that means as it relates to the work that we're privileged to do is here we are firmly planted in the realities of today as we look back to honor and draw lessons from the past while giving birth to possibilities for the future. And I love that because uh, it represents the continuum of what family and legacy is. Uh, we may touch on this in a little bit. Some people don't like the term stewardship, but for me, stewardship is really what it's all about. And Sankofa uh, represents that in a way that is inclusive, that incorporates the past, uh, it incorporates the present, as well as thinks forward to the future. Leans forward in the, into the future, yeah. Um, yeah, we I, we agree on that, but I, I have a problem. There's a lot of people who do have a problem with the word stewardship. And I, actually, mm -hmm. one of my families, they they were like adamant when they read something about what negative, and they go, stewardship is vital. I mean, it's, you know, it has nothing to do with my great grandfather. It, you know, it has everything to do with who's in front, you know, who's after me. It's my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids. So, so, you know, it's, the word stewardship is used in different ways. How do you define it? Well, as you said, there are some people who have an aversion to the term. Uh, some people think of it as being having a religious connotation, okay. and that's heartwarming for some people, not so much for others. Uh, the other camp I find people fall into who do not like the term is that they assume that stewardship means that somehow the current generations are being limited, that prior generations are trying to so-called rule from the grave. Um, that is not the uh, understanding of stewardship that I have. It's informed by this principle um, of Sankofa and is actually the opposite of, of that. It, as I said, is very much inclusive because it is grounded in the present and the realities of what are, what's happening today. It's recognizing the past because candidly, that's what got us here. Right. <laughs> uh, and also thinking about the future. Mm -hmm. One of the axioms I love says that the reason that some of us can sit in the shade of a tree today is because someone else planted that seed long, long time ago. Right. And I think that's a great uh, maxim axiom to think about as it relates to the concept of stewardship. It's not one that ties people's hands. It is one that is very much about giving each generation an opportunity to put their stamp on the family legacy. I think so much our society is kind of an either or mindset, either right. it's the senior generation or the younger generation. I am very much of the both and mindset. And again, for families who uh, care about legacy, it's a continuum and Sankofa and stewardship, if done in a certain way, represent that. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting as you as you describe that, it really is that continuum. I mean, we um, one of my families their uh, their motto was uh, uh, respect for the past, gratitude for the present, and inspiration for the future. And that to me embodied a lot of what you're saying right now. I mean, that's that's who they are. And it's they're on their like third generation. They keep building. Exactly. It really comes down. It's interesting. I think this also points to uh, how people's lived experience mm -hmm. informs how they view the world. Uh, I, as I said, practice law for almost two decades. 
and I did litigation, commercial litigation. And I love the variety of it. And I was always fascinated by how uh, a group of people can sit in a courtroom, hear the exact same witness testimony, see the exact same evidence, and come out with very different perspectives around what happened based upon the worldview that they bring to the situation. I think that probably informs how people react mm -hmm. to the notion uh, or the concept, the principle of stewardship. But certainly it can be done in a way that is not at all limiting, but in fact, very liberating and provides a foundation for people. And okay, so then the next logical question is, so why is it so important that we focus on stewardship? <clears throat> well, again, I think because it represents that continuum mm. and it allows room for everyone. Um, oftentimes we want to act as though everything started, the world started the day that we showed up. <laughs> uh, but in reality, prior generations, whether you like everything they did or the way in which they did it, they are in fact responsible for you having the benefits and enjoying what you do today. So I think it's important that we recognize that, that we're grateful for that. Uh, it's really, I think my perspective on this uh, and most people's comes down to essentially a question of what our values are. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, gratitude for what I have and for what other people sacrificed in some cases in order to make sure that that was still available for me is very, very important. And if someone planted that tree, uh, that seed right. years ago, so that I could sit in the shade, why would I not want to do the same thing for other families or other people rather within my family? I think one of the challenges is the way that families are advised today oftentimes doesn't bring that degree of intentionality and purposefulness that you train people to do at the Heritage Institute and, and that I've learned to do. I had a, a woman who was a CEO of a single family office reach out to me not long ago, a family very wealthy and actually has the largest business uh, in their industry in the entire country. Yeah. Yet the current uh, emerging rising generation of 20 something year olds had been told that they're going to have to get jobs. Whereas these young people have grown up in a world where they've never seen anybody in their family get up and go to work. Right. Not that everybody has to get up and go to work, but even really candidly to do anything meaningful except their grandmother who was very uh, prominent in the local community for her philanthropic endeavors. And that to me is a classic example of how focusing only on the money is not going to get a family where that family needs to, to be. And I would argue that in that case, uh, somebody wasn't focusing on the money very well either. But so there was this upset within the family that these young people didn't want to come to family meetings. They didn't want to engage. Well, how can you blame them if you're now telling them that everyone they have ever known in their family has had this significant financial foundation such that they didn't have to work if they didn't want to, but now these young people have to get a job. Uh, I think that speaks to the importance of being much more intentional because at the end of the day, while the money is important, what I find for the families that I'm privileged to work with is that what most people want is a connected and capable family. They want their family to be together, 
to work together and to stay together. And the money doesn't necessarily guarantee that. So focusing on the family side and this concept of stewardship, honoring the past, being grounded in the present, but also thinking about the future, I think is one that is uh, critical for families who want to sustain legacies across multiple generations. And, it's, and over the years, as we've kind of identified things that we hear over and over again from families and, and clients, one of them is they want their wealth to help and not hurt mm-hmm. and grandkids. So, you know, how they get there is a whole different world now, what that, what that means to people. But that concept, like you said, almost everybody that we work with has that, that mentality that they want to make sure that this doesn't hurt them. But this could be a great positive thing for the, they they get opportunities that we didn't have or, you know, right. and, and especially as the world changes, as you know, there's completely different opportunities there are now than they were 10 years ago, even. I mean, you know, the iPhone came out in 2007. That's just, you know, <laughs> that's not even 20 years old. Um, so when you look at those kind of things, it's like, wow, this this really is an important message and and something that that does include everybody um and that's i think another thing that's that's so vital about stewardship is it isn't just about grandma and grandpa or mom and dad and it isn't just about the next generation like you said it's that continuum and keeping absolutely that continuum and i think it also uh it's a way for people to frankly ground themselves in something larger than themselves and having a context uh, helping young people to learn about their family history and there are studies that have been done which show that the more young people know about their family history the context in which they evolved the better they do uh, academically in school fewer discipline problems greater self-esteem uh, just much uh, better well-rounded and I think that's an important part that sometimes goes missing lots of young people grow up and frankly, are kind of lost because they can have anything they want to have uh, financially and are not really sure of where their place is in the world. In the world, So done in a certain way, I don't want to say properly because I don't want to suggest anyone else's way is wrong. There is no one way to do this. And even the concept of stewardship uh, as practiced and lived from the principle of Sankofa will look different for different families. It's those undergirding uh, principles, I think, that are key. Whereas oftentimes when I hear people talk about stewardship as being limiting, they're thinking about a particular personality. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the personalities. Again, it's about something much larger than any one individual. And Families want the foundation that they either inherited or have been able to build to really last because most people will say that the reason they did the things they did building a business, for example, is for their family. Mm -hmm. The reason that they did the things they did philanthropically in their community is because it was important to their family was what they were taught about giving back and being grateful for what you have and sharing that. So I think it all ties together. uh, If you think about it again, from a standpoint of of a continuum with flexibility built in. One of the challenges sometimes with estate planning, the way that it's done uh, oftentimes is it doesn't have that flexibility. And that's where people tend to get into trouble. I think that 
the next generation always should have the opportunity not only to put their stamp on the existing family legacy, but if what they want to do is go a totally different direction, they should have an opportunity to do that. Um, I always say that uh, for me, stewardship is about being true to you and your family too. Right. And one of the challenges we have as a society is we don't always want to allow the freedoms to other people that we want for ourselves. So it really comes again down to values. You do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. I want flexibility and freedom to put my spin on it or to walk away. Then I need to be prepared to do that for my next generation as well. And it is a both and. I mean, you know, that's where you get into the both and thing. And it is, I mean, I, there's also that, there's a study about how they're more resilient if they do this. And so it's important that they know their family story. And the family story isn't all rainbows and unicorns. I mean, the family story <laughs> can include some things that aren't, you know, uh, that we learn from. I mean, we learn from our mistakes. And so we can learn from our, you know, parents and grandparents, their mistakes. Um, and that's one of the issues that I've had a lot of times with with families is they don't want to, you know, my my clients, the parents or the grandparents or whatever, they really don't want to say anything negative. They just want to talk about the good times. And and then when you ask them, what did you learn the most from? That's probably not the good times. <laughs> a lot right. of time it's from, right. you know, business owners are great. You know, it's have your business ever been in trouble and then just sit back and listen because they're all they've all had something. And then what did you learn from that? That's the part. That means so much to the next generation. So absolutely, and I, and what I try to encourage uh, families, the senior generation, even the younger generation, to talk more about that. I use the two analogies I like to use. One is of a baby learning to walk. The baby is going to stumble and sometimes may hit their head on the coffee table as they're learning to walk. But if you never put that child down, if you're always carrying them around, they will never learn to walk. It's part of the growth process. Right. If we think about the, the story of the, the butterfly, the little boy sees a, butter, uh, um, a, a caterpillar and the caterpillar becomes a cocoon and it's struggling and he thinks, oh, I'm gonna help this butterfly to emerge by taking a little knife or a little pin and slitting open ever so slightly the cocoon so that the butterfly can emerge. What the little boy doesn't recognize that is that in the process of struggling to get out of the cocoon, it strengthens the wings of the butterfly. So when he artificially tries to help the butterfly, the butterfly never wants to fly. And I think people, we in our society think that there's something negative about talking about the challenges. It's life. There is a positive and a negative to just about everything. Right. And as you say, those negative are the things that we actually learn from. So if there was something that prior generations did that we don't like, okay, we take a lesson from that and we do it differently going forward. And I've used that butterfly story before with the parents. And, you know, then when I get done with it, I go, I'll just look at them. And sometimes I have to say, that's your kids. And then they'll go, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it is, you know. Um, and and as, you're, as you do this, okay, so how do you work with families to cultivate, to cultivate family stewardship? Well, as I said, I focus on what I refer to as the family side of family wealth. Right. And I've developed a framework I call the Connected and Capable Family Framework, because I think that that is, at the end of the day, what most people really want. That looks different in the particulars, given the family, the life stage, number of 
people uh, all kinds of factors, but there are three overarching components that I like to focus on in different iterations. Uh, first and foremost is who they are individually mm-hmm. and as a family. Mm-hmm. And that for me speaks to the concept of persona and identity. I know that probably, I guess it was a decade or so ago, uh, Simon Sinek popularized the notion of we all need to know what our why is and start with our why. And for a lot of family consultants, they will say that the first thing that they ask families is, why do they want to stay together? I think those are important questions, but for me, the place to start is with who they are individually and collectively, because if they know and are clear about who they are, figuring out the why, the what, the how, all of that other stuff, I think will come naturally. At least that's that's been my experience. Mm-hmm. And while values and mission and all of that are part of it, this is really something I think is more fundamental when we're talking about looking at who people are. Um, quick example, just from my own family, uh, not long ago, my family was out of town and we were at a restaurant. Uh, unfortunately, we, we were there for a funeral and my sister-in-law was explaining something to a friend of hers who'd come in from out of town, something that happened earlier that day in this strange place that she wasn't home that had really frightened her. And, you know, in a restaurant, they always bring like crayons and a little coloring pad for the kids. So my 10-year-old nephew is sitting uh, neck between me and his mom. And he looks up from his crayons and he said, Mom, you were frightened by that? Or Williams, afraid of little things like that? And then he just went back to coloring his coloring right. book. <laughs> and I thought that was so classic of the innocence of a child. You know, he doesn't know who Simon Sinek is, obviously, doesn't understand the concept of why or purpose at his age, but he does have a distinct sense of what it means to be a member of his family. Right. I share that story because I think it also speaks to the fact that oftentimes we wait to start being more intentional in engagement with young people when we're getting them ready for their first trust distribution. Well, that's a little late in the game because they've already shaped how they think about the world, how they think about themselves, how they engage with money. So I think it's important for families to start with this question of who are we individually and as a family? I also like to emphasize the individual piece because I often find that young people tend to kind of get lost candidly Mm -hmm. uh, in their families. Our clients are privileged to be very wealthy, generally very well known in their local communities, um, in philanthropic circles, perhaps in their industry. And that can be a lot for young people to figure out how to live up to. And so helping them to discover who are they at their core, what really feeds them and their interests, independent of whatever their family uh legacy family persona may be, I think is very, very important that oftentimes I think can get overlooked because our sector talks so much about family values, about family history, and people sometimes don't find space for themselves in that. So I think looking at it from an individual as well as a a family standpoint is really important as the first 
uh, pillar of what I like to help families think about and be more intentional about whatever their current context might be. And sometimes you get hidden by the big personalities. Like you said, these are big personalities when you're in, in that world. And one of the things that I found over time was there's a lot of times when the parents, if they actually start listening to their their kids and they get the that dialogue going on about who you are and who I am, that the parents will say, you're way ahead of where I was at your age. Mm-hmm. And that's a shock because the kids at that point are, they're trying to compare themselves to their parents, you know, who are 20, 30 or grandparents who are 40 years older, you know, and have been through all these experiences. And, and when they do that, when they try and compare themselves to the older generations, they always end up, they feel like they're behind. When it's, when they see that they're ahead of where their parents or grandparents were at their age, it changes the dynamic. It gives them, I think, an energy to be who they are, knowing that it's going to be a little different. You know, that's okay. I mean, that's how they did it. And so really telling the story again, going back to the, the story, honestly, can be really open, eye-opening for those those younger generations as they say, okay, yeah, I I do have different different than what they had, but I'm ahead. <laughs> I'm a step way ahead. Way ahead. Yeah. And getting the parents to understand that as well. Uh, when, as you share that, what comes to mind is a case where this was two very successful uh, parents. Each had their own successful business. They had four adult have four adult kids. Uh, one son worked in the father's business the other two youngest worked in the mom's business and only one of them the one in the middle worked in a non-family business and the mom and her youngest son were at odds all the time the one who was working i mean just all the time she thought he was pushing too hard you know, she's not ready to go yet. Who does he think he is? I built this business. And he's like, oh, she's just trying to, you know, stop me from doing what it is she says she hired me to do. And I just encourage them both just to take a time out. Everybody take a deep breath and just think about the broader context. So I said to the mother, I said, now you say he's kind of hard charging. You think a little bit too much so. But think about it. This is a very bright young man who was raised in a household where both parents were successful entrepreneurs, built their own businesses from the ground up. You send him to one of the best private colleges in the country, and he's a millennial. If he wasn't aggressive, if he wasn't a go-getter, you would think something is wrong with him. So he is being exactly who you raised him to be. And she just kind of looked at me and then a big (laughs) smile broke out. Like she'd never thought about it that way. He's not being disrespectful. He's not being belligerent. He's being who you raised him to be. And then I go have a conversation with the young man and I said, you have several friends whose parents own successful businesses. Yeah, yeah. Any of them retired already? Silence. <laughs> uh, uh, well, no. no. Exactly. So your your mother is just doing what mothers do because 
parents are not retiring at age 62, 65, like they did when your grandparents were coming up. And especially for women, women who, and this was in, this woman had a business, has a business, successful business in the financial services industry. In her day and age, in most professions, there weren't that many women who had opportunities to do much of anything. And so in many respects, because she has built this successful business in this male-dominated industry, she's just kind of hitting her stride and just being able to take advantage of some opportunities that young people think are just like table stakes. That's right there. And so <laughs> That's the minimum, right? <laughs> yeah, and he was like, well, I never thought about it like that. Well, of course you didn't. <laughs> and so getting each generation to take things a, a little bit differently, again, it's not the personal piece that we oftentimes make it, but taking a bigger lens right. and looking at the broader context of that's just what's happening in the world today. Yeah. And it is a different world today. I, I think our law school class was the first one that had more women than men mm. at the law school. Uh and even then, I think, you know, the percentage in Oregon, when, when I was in Oregon, it's only like 15% of the lawyers were women. But, you know, it was shifting rapidly. And nobody exactly. thought about it, you know, and it's like, wow, <laughs> I thought about that. Um, one last thing before we get going, before we got off here, where does family governance fit into play in your model? That's so a- there actually, I mentioned that there are three overarching components uh, to the connected and capable family framework. The first one, who the family is individually and collectively as a family. The second one is how they engage with each other. Yeah. And that speaks to uh, what I think of as paradigm. The lens through which the family views and makes sense of the world around them, of their family, their relationships, and candidly, where they fit within it. And family governance obviously naturally speaks to this notion of how they engage. I think that family governance is is vitally important. The way that family governance tends to be done in our sector, though, really comes down to having structures policies. Um, it's, it reminds me of the old uh, culture, each, um, each uh, strategy for breakfast. Mm-hmm. So we have all of these uh, venues, processes that families should engage in as it relates to family governance and decision making, but they're not always done in a way that really serves the family. A classic example, I had an advisor reach out to me to ask me to help him create a family mission statement for one of his clients. And I said, okay, tell me more about this. How is it that you come to be creating the mission statement for them without their involvement? And he explained that the family was very, very busy. So just about everybody, (laughs) most people we know are pretty busy. I said, well, okay, they're busy, but what what process were you planning to use? He's like, well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. That's why I'm calling you. (laughs) (laughs) That they need a mission statement. Uh, They are busy, don't have time to do it. So he wanted to create one for them. And I said, quite candidly, I don't know how to create another family's mission statement without their involvement. Moreover, let me ask you a question. If some miscellaneous person created a mission statement for your family, 
how likely do you think your family would be to have any sort of ownership and to engage and actually live their lives from that mission? And he just kind of looked at me like, like, what have I gotten myself into? Um, I've had other cases where families have gone through values exercises before I met with them. One family member tells me that. I'm like, oh, that's great. Fantastic. We're ahead of the game. I go uh, and talk to the mom and I said, oh, I understand that you are already have a family value statement. She looks at me, kind of rolls her eyes and she just like slowly shakes her head. <laughs> and I said, well, please tell me more. Yeah. What does that mean? Because your uh, son thinks you all have done great values work. Bottom line is she felt in going through the process that the values that were most important to her got minimized or diluted because they were merged into something else and restated in a way that did not speak to what she felt was important. Interesting in that it was the parent who was not speaking out uh, more so than the young person. It's usually the other way around, right. but they had a value statement, which most advisors would say means that's a good piece of family governance. It wasn't serving the family. We say that family meetings are important and that families should have these venues and opportunities to get together and talk. I had another family that I started working with. They were having family meetings, but they were secretly tape recording each other in the family meetings. <laughs> And how do I know this? Because one of the people doing the tape recording told me. <laughs> that it, and that person said they weren't the only person who was recording. So we have these appearances, uh, these elements that look like family governments, but they're not serving the family. And that's why I think we need to go deeper to look at how it is that people are engaging with each other in the family, what informs that worldview, and how then do they operationalize the values? How then do they even come up with what the governance structure should look like in a way that it's going to serve the family and not simply be a check the box exercise? Third element uh, of this overarching uh, framework for the connected and capable family speaks to uh, what I call the pathway. And that is a leadership development capability and capacity building approach that I like to use with families to help them get to the point of being able to figure out who they are individually and collectively, and then figure out how to engage uh, in a way that family governance apparatus can serve them and that the family can move forward towards whatever mission they've aligned. It really is the opportunity for each generation, not only to be able to make their mark, but to have the ability to do that in a way that it's really adding value and purpose to their lives, as well as to the family's uh, overall mission. You know, and that's, if you don't actively train leadership, a lot of the stuff that we build is not going to do anything. You know, you have to have that leadership coming up that's going to be able to take over. Exactly. And the apparatus is only as good as the people will actually abide by the apparatus right. and be willing to, to engage with it. I um, work with a family where a young woman, um, this was uh, interestingly in the senior generations, primarily a male family by birth. They were in a uh, very male dominated industry and also just very patriarchal. 
this young woman was the first woman in three generations to ever work in the family business. And she came directly from college. Like, I think literally she took off a week in between. No real world experience, no sense of who she was. By the time that I met her, she had been at the family business for six years. And she was miserable. She was absolutely miserable. So working on this capacity building, leadership building, uh, it was amazing. Uh, even the, the wealth advisor said, I don't know what you all are doing to her. I want some of that. But she just, it was like pouring water on a flower that's been like in the sun too long. Right. I mean, she just blossomed because there was more of an intentional focus, as you say, on leadership development. I have another client where this uh, a single mom very, very successful suite of all kinds of businesses. One uh, was uh, concessions in airports, in okay. several airports in the country. And she decided that she was going to give her son the concession business. I mean, what young person wouldn't want an already thriving business? And the young man took the business. It turns out she didn't realize at the time, but he took it reluctantly. Less than 24 months later, he came to her and says, I got to give this back to you. She's like, what? What, what do you mean you got to give it back to me? The young man said to her, he admits that I don't know what to do with it. She had assumed because he was always with her. He went through all the struggles, was there at the meetings with the different vendors, with the bankers, the this, the that that somehow he just picked it up by osmosis. Right. And I actually asked, I said, well, did you think he was just going to absorb it? Somehow? She said, well, as I think about it now, of course, it sounds kind of silly, but yeah. So she had not gone through any sort of intentional training of this young man. Just because he grew up in the family business doesn't mean he knows how to operate it. Right. And so uh, it's another example of the need for more being more intentional and more purposeful so that each generation not only has the flexibility and the opportunity, but the actual capacity and capability to make their own mark on the family legacy. We talk about that in terms of going from monarch to mentor. You know, if mm -hmm. you're always the monarch and you're telling everybody what to do when you're gone, there's a problem. But if you go to being the mentor and let them do their thing and, you, you know, let them ask you questions and whatever, then they can, they will step in. I mean, they'll step in and step up the ones who want to. That's the other thing is making sure that we're not imposing on someone something that they don't want to do because we think that they should take this over for the family. That could be a, you know. A what I find in that regard is oftentimes when young people say they don't want to take over the family foundation or the family business, that if you have a, a deeper conversation with them, what sometimes it means is I don't want to do it in the way I see it right. being now. Right. <laughs> if I had the actual authority and flexibility to do this thing in the way that I think would be helpful, I would love to have that opportunity. So a lot of it comes down to to helping the senior generation or the incumbent generation recognize it's not just the rising generation that needs to be prepared. They need to prepare themselves and to to be right. uh, ready to step back and to allow space. I use the uh, analogy of parallel plan planning and thinking about you know layers or foundation uh, layers of a foundation. We think about the young people as the ones who need to be prepared. 
more often than not in family owned businesses, whether it's a very large business or whether it's a foundation, it's sometimes geared around the personality of that particular leader. And there are some things that need to be done differently, regardless of who's going to be the next leader of that business. So there's work to be done in the business and also for the next gen, the uh, senior generation, preparing themselves to figure out, well, where do I go from here? What does my next chapter look like? Right. I find that, that sometimes uh, the senior generation who's poured their entire life into building their business they're not being obstinate or reticent just to be difficult, but they really don't know what else to do. Right. Where do and I so there is a piece of the work, I think, that involves helping them think about what is their next chapter look like so that they then feel more comfortable letting go of the reins, knowing that there's now a, another piece that I can continue to thrive and make my mark as well. One of the people that we worked with, his, his comment was, I needed to retire from something to something. Mm -hmm. So that I knew where I was going and so I could step away and, and then he could, but he said, if I wouldn't have had a two something, you know, I would have been the problem. Yes. <laughs> and, and what are the two or three things that you'd like to say? Okay. I, I hope you got this before you ended the con conversation. I hope that people walk away uh, with an appreciation for the fact that stewardship is about continuity. Uh -huh. uh, that legacy is about continuity and stewardship is one way to ensure that continuity. And it really comes down to how a family chooses to do that. From my perspective, the thing that I focus on in the tradition of Sankofa mm -hmm. is starting out really getting clear about who they are individually as well as as a family that then helps them to position themselves and lay a foundation for figuring out how they want to engage with each other. What's the paradigm? What's the lens through which they're going to approach the world? And then to think about from a very intentional level, what are the skills that need to be built over and above financial literacy? That's kind of low hanging fruit. Everybody wants people to have at least some minimum understanding of finances so they can at least hire the right uh, the right professionals to manage the money. But the skill set around how to develop their own leadership and then find what their purpose is so that they can live a fulfilled life and be a significant contributor to the family legacy is very important. So thank you very much from this. And then uh, now if people want to get a hold of you, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you? They can do that through my website. Uh, actually, I actually have a new website, which will be uh, launching soon. The website, uh, developfamilyleaders.com. Okay. Developfamilyleaders.com. And I'm on LinkedIn, Thomasina, that's Thomas, uh, I-N-A, middle initial H, Williams. Thank you very much. And I hope everybody got some value out of this. Thank you, Rod.